0: So am I the only one amazed that it is already the month of May? Where is 2019 going? It's like it's just passing us by with speed that I never imagined. The year, the year is almost halfway gone. But with the coming of the month of May for this church, that means we are, we are going through a period of transition, right, so if you, were, if you were here this morning at the Bible class hour, you know, we've transitioned to some new teachers and some new topics. The auditorium class has taken a break from y'all's rather heavy load of textual studies recently do a little bit more practical study of some life lessons to be learned from some Bible characters. Max has a group in the back, largely his Bible reading class from last year, and they're harmonizing those four accounts of Jesus' life. And we got a class going on on marriage that's looking at the Song of Solomon. The young adults are doing the book of Revelation because, well, we just believe we're throwing Reuben into the deep end of the pool right off the bat. So a lot happening in our classes, and I haven't even touched on all that's happening in our children's classes, new group of teachers, new group of subjects. And I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, you need to be part of that. It's good for you spiritually to be in Bible class. And if that won't grab your heart, it's important for your children to be in Bible class. We want them to grow up knowing the Creator's will for their life. This is an opportunity for them to do that. So so if you've not been a Bible class goer, this is a great time to jump in right now. Here we are at the beginning of this quarter. And then then in just a few weeks heading into June, we got some special events coming up. Camper Sunday, just about a month away when all those young people and their families stop through. Got some special things planned for that Sunday. And then as soon as the kids get back from camp, we have our special once-a-year event with our young people. We've called it Authentic Faith this year. I said for those of you who were here at the Singing Friday night, I'm going to repeat it again. Our kids really need to be here for this. I know any time we're studying the Word of God that that, that it's important. This is especially important. These basic things our kids believe, there is a God, and the Bible is the Word of God, and Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose to rescue us from sin. Those basic things are under assault, and our kids need to grow up knowing the evidence that undergirds these basic pieces of of their worldview, So we're going to be working on that. We've got a whole series of classes set up for young people. We're going to divide it up sort of age appropriate. We really want our kids to be here. I know we invite people from other places and we want them to share in that benefit. But first and foremost, we are doing this for the Dallin Road Church family. So will you help get your kids here June 21st, 22nd, 23rd to have 100% attendance from the Dallin Road crowd. Can you help us do that? It's going to be a really important study. And while we're talking about transitions, with the coming of the month of May, we are also going to make a transition in our theme for this year. You know, we've been reading through the book of Genesis, and we've been going back to the beginning and learning some critical Bible lessons that we learn all the way back at the start. We began this in January by focusing our attention on origins, and we've been talking through the early part of this year about where we've come from, and what the Bible says about that, and, and how and how what we find in Genesis about our origin really shapes the way we view everything. Our whole our worldview is influenced by the things that are taught in Genesis. Well, this morning we're moving on from origins, okay. We're going to be transitioning to the second part of our theme this year. We're going to start looking at some of the characters, the main characters in the Bible story that are introduced to us in the book of Genesis. Because, like any good book, what the Bible does at the very beginning, is it introduces the main players in this story that it's going to tell. So right at the start, we're introduced to God, and then soon after that, we're introduced to man, and then we're not too far in before we meet Satan, the three key players in this story that the Bible will tell. But not only are we introduced to them, what I want you to start thinking with me about today is that the Bible also tells us about these three characters. We learn about them. Not not just their part in this story that's developing, but about who they are. In fact, I want to begin this morning focusing mainly on God and what we learn about God all the way back in the beginning. I'm going to tell you I think that's important. I think people today are very tempted to practice their own modern version of idolatry. I don't mean by that that they're busy in their garage taking a hunk of wood and carving it into an image and then falling down in front of it and worshiping. I don't think that's what people are doing today. But I do think they are guilty of modern-day idolatry. What they want to do is create God in their own image. They have it completely backwards. They want to make God out to be who they want him to be. And if you pay attention, you hear people saying things that in essence do that all the time. You ever had someone say, I just couldn't believe in a God who sent people to hell? Well, now, wait a minute. There's all kinds of things wrong with that statement, okay? But what they're doing is they're making God in their image. This is who I want them to be. Or maybe you've heard someone say, I could never believe in a God who would not be willing to embrace people who live the homosexual lifestyle. You see what we're doing? People are making God as they want him to be. And the problem is when men start doing that, they won't agree on what he ought to be. And so we wind up with all these little idols that men come up with and call God that that in essence is God made in their image. So let's be crystal clear about this this morning, okay? As we get started, let's be crystal clear that we do not get to do that. None of us do. We do not make God what we wish him to be. We accept God as he is presented to us in Scripture, as he is presented to us all the way back at the beginning in the book of Genesis. You see, as the story unfolds, there's more there than just the story, brothers and sisters. When we read the creation account and the Adam and Eve story and the Cain and Abel story, there's more there than the story. If we will dig deeper and look more closely, we're also learning about these characters and who they are. And I would submit to you this morning that if we'll dig a little deeper, we'll learn about God and who He is. And so I want you to think with me about that for a little while this morning. I want you to consider some things that we learn about who God is all the way back at the beginning. And so grab your Bible, head to Genesis 1. That's where we're going to start. Very first verse in the Bible, Genesis 1 and verse 1, the Bible says, In the beginning, God. Now let's just stop right there because I think that in and of itself is important. In the beginning, when everything started, the Bible says God was there. Now, don't misunderstand. He's not saying that God was created in the beginning. What he's saying here is that when everything started, God was already there. God was present before everything else was created. In fact, what the Bible teaches us is that God has always existed, that God is eternal. And Genesis is telling us that. The writer in Deuteronomy chapter 33 verse 27 Calls him the eternal God. The psalmist in Psalm 90 and verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, before you were created, before you created the earth and the world, you are God. You have always been and you will always be. Sometimes people will say, Well, where did God come from? Or who made God? Or when was he created? And the answer is he wasn't. To do that puts God in the wrong category. He is not to be counted among those things that had a beginning, those things that began to exist. He has always existed. He is an eternal God. And listen, that is important when you start trying to account for Origins. That is important when you start trying to explain this universe that exists all around us today. Science teaches us that our universe is not eternal, not like God is. It has not always existed. Science d- d- demands that, that the universe had to have a beginning. And so where did it come from? I will tell you, brothers and sisters, that Genesis gives us a reasonable way to account for that. It describes a God who was outside of the created world, which he would need to be if he's going to make it. Who was able to bring it all into existence. He has always existed. Of course, you understand that unbelievers are going to ridicule us for believing in an eternal God who made everything. I just want you to remember that when, when unbelievers ridicule us for this, remember that they are also stuck with the same information we are. And stuck with the same responsibility to account for this information. The universe exists, guys. We dwell in it. It's all around us. We can see it. And as we've said, we know it had to have a beginning. It could not have always existed. And so unbelievers, if they reject God, they've got to account for this too. So just remember when somebody ridicules you for believing that there's an eternal God who started all of this, just remember that they have to explain it too. And remember That their current theory is that there was nothing, and out of that came something that evolved over billions of years. That's their answer. I don't know about you folks, but in the beginning, God works a whole lot better and reasonably for me than the argument, well, there was nothing, and then somehow something, and then it evolved. Take your pick. Which is more rational? Which one makes more sense? Which one works in your mind? What I see in Genesis is the Bible accounting for the beginning in a reasonable way by saying that it is the work of an eternal God. But now let's press a little further. Because as I continue making my way through the creation story, there's something else that I see. When I get to verse 3, and verse 3 says, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, Now, something hits me when I read that. In fact, as I read on through the story, and God keeps doing this, God keeps saying and things keep happening, and it was so. As I read that, I'm struck with something. This eternal God who was there at the beginning, this God is a powerful God. Do you see? see that when you go through Genesis? In fact, I'm just sort of overwhelmed with the power of this creator who can just say the word and it is so. He is a mighty God. Our God is a powerful God. The psalmist celebrated that in Psalm 33 in verse 6. He said, the sky was made at the Lord's command The breath from his mouth made all the stars. He gathered the water of the seas into a heap. He made the great ocean to stay in its place. All the earth should worship the Lord. The whole world should fear him. Listen to this. He spoke and it happened. He commanded and it appeared. We serve a mighty God who but says the word and it is so. I would submit to you that those are more than just random facts about God. Those are facts that have meaning for me and you, don't they? There is a response, an appropriate response to a God like this. That psalm that we just read, the psalmist says in verse 8, All the earth should worship the Lord. The whole earth should fear Him. We ought to stand in awe of such awesome and mighty power. I think we also need to remember that it is to the God who could say, let there be light, and there was light. It is to that God that we turn and appeal for help in our hour of trouble. A God who, Paul said, is able to do abundantly beyond all that we can think or imagine. We need to remember that the God who comes to our rescue is a powerful God who spoke our universe into existence. I fear that sometimes we see too much how big our troubles are and not how big the God is who promised to help. You see, the idea that he's a powerful God has very real meaning for me and for you, and listen, he has some something to say to critics of the Bible as well. I'm just going to touch on this point because I know I've said this recently. But you know, people people read about the miracles of the Bible and they laugh at that, and they say, "How could he, how could anyone believe in these miracles of the Bible?" My favorite one is Balaam's talking donkey. Right? Come on! Surely nobody really believes that a donkey could talk. That's just got to be an ancient fable. And I listen to people say that, and I think, "Why do you have a problem with a talking donkey?" Listen, if you're going to have a problem with something, go back to Genesis. Let there be light. That's a way bigger thing than a a donkey talking, okay? When God can speak into the nothingness and make something, and we're quibbling over a donkey talking, a donkey he made, by the way? Come on. You want to talk about something awesome and mighty? Read Genesis 1 and 2. Miracles of healing we read about. Lot's wife turning into a pillar of salt, the great flood. Listen, that's no sweat mourning work for the Lord. It's the easy stuff. He is a powerful God. We see that about him. At the very beginning. But listen, as I keep making my way through this, I see something else. As God begins to go through this creative process in, in verse number 9, he's, he's creating the waters and the dry land. And, and then you keep going further and you watch this process and, and you see something else about God that I think is interesting. I'm impressed that he is an orderly God, a God who operates by design. And I think we see that as we look at this creation story. Do you remember when we were doing the text talk, the first text talk in February on these chapters, first chapters? We talked about how God began creation, this orderly process, by first making habitats. Remember us talking about that on day one? He makes the light, the day and the night. On day two. He makes the expanse, the atmosphere, the oceans, and the expanse between them. On day three, he makes the earth, the land, and the seas. Remember, the first three days, he makes these habitats, right? And then what does he come back and do on the next three days? He fills them up. The sun and moon and stars on day four fill the day and the night. And the birds on day five and the fish, they fill the skies and the ocean. And then on day six, the land animals and man, they fill up the earth that God's created. Even, even in the way he did this, do you see this? There is a, an orderliness. There is a design about what God does. We see that at the beginning. And yet and yet as we continue through the Bible story, that is exactly what we see. A God of order and design. And so in Exodus, he takes this people, Abraham's descendants, and he makes them into a nation. But he does that in Exodus 20 by bringing them to Mount Sinai and covenanting with them, making a covenant, giving them laws that would govern them as a nation. He doesn't just let Israel be a free for all, he turns them into a nation governed by laws so, so that you would have order in that nation. And then, and then when he tells them to worship, Again, it's not just a free-for-all where God says, hey, do whatever comes to you. No, no, no. He gives them laws to order their worship. And when he sets up the family, he created order within the family. He, he provided for leadership roles and submission roles. And you get to the New Testament, and he sets up his church in exactly the same way. The local church is organized and designed according to the plan of God. It's not left to, to just be a chaotic free-for-all. God had a plan for what that was supposed to be. He is an orderly God. So here's a takeaway for that point. When God sets something up a certain way, we need to follow his plan. Because it's when we stop listening to God's plan and following his design and direction, that's when disorder takes over and chaos comes into our life. From the very beginning, we learn about God, that he is a God of order and design. But then there's something else I see. As I read through Genesis, not only does his power jump out at me, but in these first couple of chapters, I'm impressed that there is something special about man. Do you see that too? You get that hit very early on in Genesis 1 and verse 26, right? Are you looking at that? Genesis 1, 26, where God says, let us make man in our image. There's something special about man. And then in chapter 2 and verse 8, we read about this beautiful place that he creates for Adam to live in, in the Garden of Eden where he supplies all of Adam's needs. In fact, Genesis tells us that God saw it was not good, right, for man to be alone. And he looked on that and said, (laughs) <laughs> Too bad for him. What did he do? He created a woman for him, a companion to share his life with him. And as we continue pushing on beyond the book of Genesis and throughout the rest of the Bible story, we continue to see that. When, 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 when man sins, God doesn't give up on us. In fact, by the time we get to chapter 12 and we start through this Abraham story we're working on right now, we see that God is working on a plan to rescue man. From his sins. That descendant of Abraham. Who would bring a blessing to all the families. That descendant is the son of God. Jesus Christ. Who would die on the cross to bring the blessing. Of salvation. To all men. Jesus would say in John 3.16. For God so loved the world. God is a caring God who is especially interested in man. You know, brothers and sisters, God does not need to prove that he loves me. That was settled at Calvary. And so whatever life brings, good or bad, up or down, there is no question about where I am with God. There is no question about his love and concerns for me. That, that's been settled. In fact, that issue was settled all the way back in the beginning, all the way in the Garden of Eden. We learned how deeply God cares about us. There's one more thing I want you to see. One of the points that we have made as we've talked about origins for the last, for the last several months One of the points we've made is that because God is the creator, right, that he has a right to rule. He has authority over us. He has a right to tell us what to do. And as the creation, we're obligated to do what God said to do. And so in the early chapters of Genesis, we actually see God exercising his authority as creator. In Genesis 2 and verse 16, he says to Adam, don't eat that tree, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil, that's off limits. And the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so God, God is exercising his role and responsibility as creator and holding man accountable to his laws. And so what happens when they violate the law? Well, in chapter 3 and verse 9, the text says that God comes looking Adam and Eve. And he calls out and says, where are you? And when the sin is exposed, God's question is, what is this that you have done? What is God doing there? God is exercising another facet of his nature and character. He is demonstrating his justice. He had given this law to Adam and Eve. They had violated the law. And what does God do? God goes and confronts them. And he calls them out. And he punishes them in just the way that he said he would punish them. What are we learning about God? That he is a just Now, that's not nearly as cool as the powerful part. In fact, I'd much rather just go back to the last slide and leave that one up there about how God is a caring God. People are not as eager to embrace this God of justice. In fact, one of the most popular idols built of God today is this idol that sort of looks like a doting grandpa. And I will tell you, I have a high level of expertise at the business of being a doting grandpa, okay? And that's how how people want to see God. Sort of like a doting grandpa playing with his grandchildren. Yeah, he may give some rules and say, don't do this or don't do that. But what do grandpas do when the kid mess up? Nothing. Thank you. That is exactly right. Nothing. We kind of give him a pass. Oh, he's just, he's just 17. We shouldn't fuss so much at him, right? No better. We kind of look the other way. We kind of go easy on the kids. We're not hung up about the rules. Let, let the punishment. Hey, we could have that on mom and dad. What are great things about being a grandparent? And that's exactly the idol that some people have built of God. And he's just the same way. Yeah, he's up there in heaven, but he's just an old gray-headed guy with a really long beard that's just an old grandpa. And yeah, he gave the rules, but he's not really hung up about you keeping the rules. If you kind of get off the track a little bit, maybe he might want you to get back on. At the end of the day, he's just like Grandpa. He loves all of us. He's going to bring us all home to be with him, right? You know what the problem with that is, folks? That description of God is an idol. That is not who God is. That's not the God revealed in the Bible. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, he gives rules to Adam and Eve. Question, did he expect them to keep the rules? You bet he did. And when they have violated the rules, did God just kind of sit back and say, well, you know how kids are. He goes into that garden. And he says to Adam and Eve, where are you? Present yourselves before me, before the one to whom you will give an account. And he says, what is this you've done? I gave you a law, and you ignored me, and you did your own thing, and he punished them just in the way that he said he would punish them. What are we learning about him, brothers and sisters? That he is a just God. Again, I don't think most people want to embrace that idea about God, but here's the problem. If we want the other stuff, if we want a God who cares about us, where do we find that? If we want a powerful God who is able to come to my rescue in the hour of crisis, where do we find that? Well, among other places, we find it right here in Genesis, don't we? That's where we learn about this mighty God. And that's where we learn about this caring God who has this passionate love for men and women. And that's where we learn that he is a just God. And so we're logically stuck with the whole picture. It isn't logical or reasonable to dismiss the justice part and to embrace only the parts about God that I would like. That, ladies and gentlemen, is idolatry. We have to accept God as he is for all that he is in Scripture. Can I tell you why that's critical? It is critical because whether we choose to embrace him or not, He is the God before whom you and I will give an account in the end. So no matter what I make him into, this God, the God that's revealed in your Bible, who's described for us in Genesis, this is the God before whom I answer in the end. So here's my question for you. You ready to face him? Let's get ready to sing the invitation song as you ponder that question. Are you ready to face the God of Scripture? Maybe there's someone today saying, that is not where I am at. I have not lived my life in a way that would honor that God. I'm terrified to think about facing a God of justice who will hold me accountable to the law that He gave. In His grace and mercy, He's given you this time, this moment, to do something about that. Whether you need to become his child for the first time and be washed for your sins. Or maybe you've you've been like Adam and Eve and you've gotten off the path and you've done some things he didn't want you to do. You need to come back home and, and make things right with him. God eagerly welcomes you home today. Yes, he's a God of justice and he's a caring, compassionate father eager for his children to come back home. He waits for you today. Don't let him down. If you need to respond, come right now. Come to the front while we stand, while we sing.